Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monclova Baptist Church podcast. We're thankful that you joined us today. Hey, if you would do us a favor at the end of this episode, make sure that you follow us on our social, Instagram and Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell button so that you get notified every time that we post new content. If you also want to stay connected with us beyond Sunday morning, make sure that you download the MRBC app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Now let's dive in. The Bible says this in Romans 12, verse number one. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I ask you, I plead of you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, meaning this is what you should do. It's the least that you can do. Jump down to verse 19, if you will. Verse 19 says this, dearly beloved, loved ones, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place, uh, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Look at that last verse with me one more time, would you? Verse 21, be not overcome with evil but overcome evil with good. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning. I pray that you would help us to learn through these passages. Pray that you'd let your spirit lead and guide. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the book of Romans, chapter number 12, Paul's writing to the church. And as Paul writes to the church, he's talking in chapter number 12 about some practical Christian living. And he gets to that verse and he's saying, look, brothers, look, sisters, look, church people, I'm going to ask you that you do a few things. And so he spends 20 verses asking them to do specific things. And I think that he saves this last one for last because oftentimes it can be one of the most difficult. In fact, he spends three verses to ask us to do one thing. And the one thing that he asks us to do is not to avenge the wrongs that are done to us, but to let the Lord do what only he can do and to not return evil for evil, but to return evil for good. It doesn't take long in our world now to realize that evil is predominant in almost every arena. Take a few minutes and watch the news, scroll social media, talk to your family about issues that you're having. And we know that evil is predominant. We know that the devil has created the world. And what is the world? The world is the way I describe it. The world is just this system of rebellion created by the accuser, the liar, the devil, in order to thwart the plan of a holy God to redeem his people back to him. The world is simply that system of rebellion that he created to thwart the plan of a holy God. And so we see how evil from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, that God created the world in Genesis chapter number one. Do you remember, Jim? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the waters. And man, what a beautiful time it was. The Bible says every time God created something that he looked and he said, what church? He said that it was what? Good. And on the seventh day, he looks and he says, look, I I now see that it is very good. And it only took two more chapters for that Satan, that accuser, that liar to sneak into God's plan 
And to come to that lady Eve in the garden, and as Eve, the first woman, was standing there, and she was lied to about what God had said, she takes of the fruit, and now our world turned from predominantly good to adherently evil. And from that moment forward, we now have this massive problem between good and evil. And the fact of the matter is, in our lives, this problem shows up most within our relationships, right? In fact, in most of our relationships, and we follow the, uh, the narrative of almost all the relationships in our life, whether they be good or whether they be bad, there's usually two sides to every relationship, right? Especially the bad ones, there's usually a good side of the relationship, and there's usually a, a bad side of the relationship. If any of you in this room this morning have ever had a, a broken relationship, you know this, that in that broken relationship, oftentimes there's one person, one party of the relationship that's always painted as the hero. And there's always a portion of that relationship that's painted as the villain. And in our culture, in our narrative, we, we must do this, right? Because this is what makes sense in our mind. And it's very interesting because if you talk to the opposing parties in almost every relationship, the, the one story paints himself as the hero and the other as the villain. And then if you go to the other side of the relationship, they would be completely opposite. The person telling the story now is the hero and the other, the villain. But here's the deal this morning as Christians, as Jesus followers, as people that love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, and mind, God has not called us to live in such a way. In fact, God's called us to be what's called a peculiar people, a different people, zealous or full of good works. People should be able to see the life of a Christian and be able to look at the life of a Christian and think there is something different about that person. And what Paul's writing here to the Roman church is he's saying, look, fellas, ladies, let's not be people that return evil for evil, but let's be people that return evil for good. So just right out of the gate this morning, let me ask you, how do you return evil in your life? Or how do you respond to evil in your life? Does it make you uncomfortable? Does it make you anxious? Does it make you depressed or sad? Does it make you, Does it make you vengeful, wanting to get back at that person? When you see evil done, do you cry out for justice and whatever means necessary? Let's look this morning at a story where I believe we can find out what God's plan is for good and evil in this world. I told you to go to 1 Samuel. Are you there? Let's go to 1 Samuel 24, the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 24. In the book of 1 Samuel, we see the narrative of the life of David. I thought it was very fitting. Pastor didn't know what I was going to speak on this morning, but yet he's standing there at Elah and he's giving us that, that uh, narrative of David's life, how David, the young boy, took the rock from the riverbed and he killed Goliath. Man, what a powerful story. My boys are two and five, and, or almost five, and both of them love that story. Even last night, we have this little kid's Bible, and I had read some of the stories, and they asked me, uh, little Roman, he goes, he goes, Goliath, Goliath, Goliath. And I'm like, oh, he wants to the story of Goliath one more time before bed. It's a powerful story. And the life of David is outlined all throughout the book of 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel 24, we come to the point in David's life where he is, a, an, a, he is a very grown adult and he's very close to being able to take the throne because God's plan for David was to be the next king. But we know, if you know anything about the story, that there was a king that was already in place there at the time and his name was Saul. And David and Saul did not have a good relationship. 
In fact, from the very moment that the two of them met, David and Saul, there was a moment where Saul thought maybe David can come and maybe he can be a part of what's going on in the palace or maybe he can play some some music for me to, to calm my soul. But from very early on in their relationship, we see that there is a problem between the two men. Saul knew that David was going to be the next king. David knew that he was eventually going to be the next king and that didn't set very well with Saul. And so we see over and over in their relationship how Saul tried to kill David, tried to obliterate him from the world. He several times threw a spear at Saul to try or at David to try to kill him. He several times sent armies after David to try to kill him. And Saul had one mission in life, and that mission in life was to obliterate David from the face of the earth. And if we're honest, sometimes there's people in our lives that we feel like their mission is in life is to obliterate our reputation, our name, or even maybe us from their life, from their reputation, from their relationships. And then this evil that we experience is sometimes so overwhelming that we don't know what to do. And so let's look at how they respond to each other here in this passage in 1 Samuel 24. The Bible says this, in the first seven verses of this chapter, it's really just telling a lot of the story that's happening. And then the rest of the chapter is a conversation between David and between Saul. And so we read in 1 Samuel 24 in verse number one, it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel. And he went to seek David and his men upon the rocks and the wild goats. And he came to a sheep coat and on the way where there was a cave and Saul was then going or Saul then went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men in David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it seemed good unto thee. Then David arose and he cut off the skirt or the robe of Saul's privily. So let's paint a picture of what's happening. David and Saul are at it again. David's running in the wilderness of Mingedi. He's got men that are in the cave and they're all there together, 600 of them or 300 of them. And and then David is, they're hiding from Saul. Saul hears that he's in the wilderness. And so Saul says, okay, let's get 3000 men and let's gather them up, this massive army. And we're gonna go and we're gonna chase after David because it's time for him to lose his life. And on their journey, uh, Saul took some time to rest, to relieve himself, to be able to step away from leading this group of people and just take a moment for himself. And so he walks into this cave where he had no idea that David and his men were hiding out. And as he walks into the cave, David and all of his soldiers, they were, like the Bible says, up on the sides of this deep cave. And so I'm sure that he probably walked in just the beginning of it there as the sun was able to be shielded from him so he could take a moment to rest. And he sits there and he starts to rest for a few moments and all of David's men start to talk. And all of David's men start to tell him, hey, man, this guy has been a thorn in your side for years and years and years. Now is your opportunity to get rid of him. And this guy, man, can you believe all of the times that he has chased after us and all of the times that we've had to run from him and all of the times we went without eating because we were hiding from him and all of the the pain and the suffering that we felt because of this individual, now is your chance to obliterate him. 
In fact, they even used the word of the Lord in order to convince him that this was the right thing. Because if you remember in the verse, in verse three, they said, the Lord said he was going to give you his, your enemies into your hands. What they were referring to was just the chapter before in chapter 23, the Bible had said that David inquired of the Lord yet again, saying, Lord, and what should I do? And the Lord answered him and said, arise, go down to Keilah. I will deliver the Philistines into thy hands. So David was already expecting for some enemy to come and that he was going to have the opportunity to obliterate that enemy. You see, what's happening here is bad counsel is allowing David to go into a bad place. Bad counsel is allowing David to go into a bad place. And can I tell you this morning in our lives, in this battle that we all face between good and evil, it is extremely important that we are aware of the people that we surround ourselves with to give us counsel in those situations. Because oftentimes in those situations, what we're looking for, we're not looking for a reasonable action. We're looking for an affirmation of what we already think. And so what we do is we try to find people in our lives that will affirm the things that we believe, right? And so when, uh, when a husband and wife are, are talking, you know, if I want to go to my wife, the reason I'm going to my wife is so that my wife can tell me how wonderful of a husband that I am, right? And so I will go to my wife and I'll say, man, can you believe uh, that this is happening and, or that this person or that that person, and what am I doing? Am I really looking for her to help me to work out in a relationship? And to help me in that situation? Absolutely not. What I'm looking for is I'm, I'm looking for her to come to me and be like, you know what, babe, you're right. They are just messed up. I cannot believe that somebody would say that about you. That's, that's what I'm looking for, right? And, and the other side would be true as well, right? And if our spouse would come to us and, and we were to say to them and they would be worked up about something and we were to say, you know what, honey, I, I understand that they're very difficult. That should have never happened. We're, we're simply looking for affirmation. We're simply looking for somebody to say, yeah, you have every right to feel that way about that person. But see, as Jesus followers, as Christians, as people that believe the Bible, that should never be our heart. Because the Bible says if we're going to walk in the spirit and we're not going to fulfill the lust of the flesh, that our spirit ought to be full of love, joy, and peace. And love, joy, and peace isn't gossip. Love, joy, and peace isn't complaining. Love, joy, and peace isn't getting back at. Love, joy, and peace is saying, you know what? I understand that that person must be going through something to be able to do that to me. And my job is not to be judge, jury in their life. My job is to love them like Jesus would. And we'll see that in just a minute. So David goes after this bad counsel and he does something that he probably should never have done. He cuts off the bottom of the robe of Saul. And then in verse number five, I love David's response. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart, look at this word he uses, smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. David was deeply convicted about what he had just done. And I love this contrast here because Saul, a guy that was deeply convicted that David's life must end, was chasing after him to murder him. And David caused no harm to Saul. He just moved in that direction. And yet the Holy Spirit of God pricked his heart and said, that was wrong and that wasn't what you should do. I love the contrast between somebody who's walking in the spirit and somebody who's clearly walking in the flesh. Let me ask us this morning, are we as sensitive to the sin in our life as David was here in this moment of weakness against Saul. 
When we begin to flirt with sin, when we begin to flirt with evil, when we begin to allow the bad thoughts and the bad actions and the bad attitudes to creep into our heart and soul, are we like David where we say, we are smitten, we are convicted that we would even go there. We are broken that we would even think that about another individual. We are so upset in ourselves that we would allow ourselves to flirt with that type of sin. David was walking so closely with the Lord that even the hint of getting close to doing something evil smote his heart and said, you should not be doing this. And immediately we see in verse six and seven that he turned to those men and he said, guys, this is enough. This is not God's way. Look at verse six. He says this, he said unto the men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed. And I'm not going to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing that he is anointed of the Lord. And so David saved his servants, saved his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise up against Saul. But Saul then arose up out of the cave and went on his way. Not only was David convicted of the sin, he also acted upon the sin. See, here's what I believe about most of us in this room, because we're here at church on a, on a Sunday and we, we love the Lord and we, we, most of us probably know for sure that we're going to heaven, we're saved, we've settled that in our heart. But here's what I believe. I believe that we often in our lives and in our, our day-to-day activities, we get to a place where we understand that there are things in our life that need to be fixed. And we understand that we have conviction over certain sins in our life, but yet we fail to take that next step like David did and look to those men that he was leading and say, guys, that's enough. That's enough. And in our world today, what we need is we need Christians to be strong and bold enough to stand up for what is right. And what happens is oftentimes, I'm sure you've probably experienced things like this. You're in a situation and things start to turn to the wrong way and people start to say the wrong things and that person's name comes up and you know where this conversation is going. That thought comes into your mind and you know what's about to follow. And what we do oftentimes is we just simply shy away and we're like, well, I hope they get that right. Or I hope I get that right eventually. And we, we kind of just sweep that right under the rug. But what David did is immediately as God convicted him of sin is he did something about it. He looked to those guys that were telling him, Hey, we need to do this or we need to do that. And he said, guys, this is not the way this is not God's plan. And immediately he turned and started doing what God wanted him to do, walking away from Saul. Are you as sensitive to that in your life? Are there things that God has laid upon your heart, even this last week that says, you need to change that brother, sister. You need to fix that relationship, mom, dad. You need to get this thing right in your life. Are you acting upon that? Because we're in a battle, remember, good versus evil. And the only way to overcome evil is good. And the first step to good is repentance from evil. So David goes and he says this. He says, guys, stay away. Then in verse number eight, he says this. David also then arose and went out of the cave and he cried after Saul. Now we're going to see this conversation. And he calls out to Saul and he says, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Now, can you imagine Saul? Have you ever gotten, like, you ever thought you were in somewhere by yourself 
and then somebody like turned on a light or made a noise and it startled you. You ever been there? Man, I've, I've been there. That's the weirdest thing. The awkwardest, the awkwardest thing ever is walking through a church at night alone. If you've ever done it, it's going to be a little creepy. doesn't matter what church it is. doesn't matter what place it is. If you're in a church alone at night, walking through, it's a little creepy. So a couple years ago, I was working at a church and I'm walking through this basement and that's where our nursery was and our children's wing was. And I'm, I'm walking through the basement. I'm about to walk out the, the back doors of the basement and I hear here, I'm like, oh my word, who is here? This is strange. And so I started walking down the, the rooms and I'm opening all the doors and I get to the nursery and like the toys in the nursery, they didn't turn them off and they're just making this music. And I'm really uncomfortable at this moment right now. And I'm like, let's get out of here. And so I, so I ran out and I thought somebody was there and my, my whole body was like, is somebody here? I thought I've been here for like an hour alone. What have I said? What have I done? What have I been singing at the top of my lungs? I don't know. I hope nobody heard any of this, right? right? I feel like that's kind of where Saul is. Saul went into this place to calm down, relieve himself, rest. And then he realizes, oh, I was, I wasn't alone in there. And then when he realized he wasn't alone, he turns around and he sees that it was David. And so Saul looks at David and he says, and David said unto Saul, and he's shocked here. And he says, wherefore hearest thou men's words saying, behold, David seeketh thy hurt. He asks him straight up. He says, who's telling you that I want to hurt you? Who's telling you that I'm against you? Who's telling you that my job, my mission is life is to take you off of the throne? Who's telling you that? And then he says in verse number 10, behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand, into the cave. And some of my men bade me that I would kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put my forth, put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see ye, see the skirt of the robe in my hand, in that I cut off thy skirt of thy robe, but I killed thee not. Know that and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Listen, we all can relate to this situation that's happening right here. Because what's happened here is the people that I got talked about at the beginning in Saul's life have gotten in Saul's ear and have told Saul over and over and over and over that David's the villain. And so Saul has gotten to a place in his life where all he can think about is obliterating the competition, obliterating David. And all of that happens to us. There are people that we encounter. There are people in our lives. And what they have done is they have told us false narratives about somebody else. Or we have gotten with our own selves. We've sat in a corner and we have mulled over things that have happened. And what we've done is we've created a narrative about that person in our mind, in our heart. And what's happened is we've made it our mission to get back at somebody that has no issue with us. Or we've watched it happen in families where a child oftentimes will betray a parent or betray a brother or betray a sister. And in their mind, in their heart, they know that person has it out for me. But if you talk to the other side, they have no issue with that person. They have no problem with that person. And I don't know where you are this morning. You might be on the receiving end of that, or you might have a relationship in your life this morning. Listen, where you just think that person has it out for me. 
And maybe they don't. Maybe you've just convinced yourself that they do. Maybe you're like Saul where you're living a life of anger and you're living a life of bitterness and you're living a life that's full of pride and full of anxiousness and full of worry because of what somebody might do to you or say about you that literally doesn't care what you do or what you say. And David goes to Saul and he just calls it out. He said, Saul, who's telling you this? Who says that I have a problem with you? He said, Saul, look, I could have taken your life today but yet I chose not to because listen, I have no evil in my heart against you. And so they get to this conversation and David says, look, Saul, I have nothing against you. And then in verse number 12, David then just gives it over. And he says this, the Lord judge between me and thee, the Lord judge between me and thee and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from only the wicked. Listen, now he doubles down and he says, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. He assures Saul that everything's okay between the two of them. And then he says in verse 14, he says, after whom is the king of Israel come out? He tries to get Saul to realize the, the foolishness of his actions. He says, after whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea? The Lord therefore be judge and he judge between me and thee and see that he plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. And so what's David doing here? He's saying, look, Saul, I'm done with this back and forth. Like I'm done with this cat and mouse. I'm done with chasing and running and going. I'm giving all of it over to Jesus and he's going to be the judge between us. Now look at David or look at Saul's response. And it came to pass when David had made his done speaking and his words unto Saul that Saul lifted up his voice and said, is this the voice of my son, David? And then Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. Now I want you to realize the importance of that statement right in there. Is this my son, David? All throughout 1 Samuel, the first 23 chapters, if you look at Saul and David's interactions, every time that Saul said anything about David, he said, Jesse's son, the son of Jesse, the brother or the, the son or the line of Jesse. And he never once realized who David was. He never saw him as an individual. He never said, David, my son. And you see what happened when David returned Saul's evil for good, Saul saw David differently. Saul was humbled. His heart was broken. He looked at David and he said, with tears in his eyes, my son, David. And then the rest of the passage, he goes on and he says, please don't cut me off. Don't cut the line off. And then he says in verse number 19, he even says this. He says that he recognizes the fact that David will one day be king. He says, I know that I'm wrong and that someday you're going to be king. All because David chose to do good. So what does this mean for us this morning? This story, this command from Romans about don't return evil for evil, but return evil for good. Well, I would ask you real quickly, just right at the beginning here, as we think about that, a question, where are you in the story? Are you Saul who thinks that everybody is out to get you? And you're living anxious and scared? And are you living in a place where you are guarded and trapped because somebody's out to get me when truly nobody really cares? 
Or are you David, where you really just tried to do what's right and you've tried to make amends and you've tried to fix the relationship and you've tried to talk to that person and you've tried to bring that daughter or that son in back to your life or you've tried to reconcile that marriage or you've tried to fix this relationship with this coworker or you've done fill in the blank. But yet the person has never received what you've been doing to them. Where are you in the story? I think this this morning, that there's three key things that we can all take away, no matter if we're on this side or no matter if we're on this side. I want you to write these down and we'll be done this morning. Number one is this. Number one is this, that we must have a desire to listen to the voice of God. We must have a desire to listen to the voice of God. Listen to the words of scriptures. His ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts, saith the Lord. See, what happens is oftentimes we justify our evil against other people because we have not listened to the voice of God in our life. We've listened to the voice of bad counsel in our life. And what we have to do this morning, church, is we have to get to the place where we are so in tune with the spirit of God working and moving in us that we will not listen to the bad counsel that's all around us, but we'll heed the voice of God. When Paul wrote to the Roman church in verse number one of chapter number 12, and he said, look, church, I'm asking, I'm pleading. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by God's mercy, please present your bodies a living sacrifice. How in the world do we walk in the spirit of God in such an evil world? How in the world do we hear the voice of God when all around us, all we hear is negative and complaining and doomsday and woe is me and the world is so messed up around us. How do we listen to the voice of God? We must do what David did over and over in scripture. We must do what Paul said in Romans 12. We must boldly but humbly come before God every single day and present ourselves a living sacrifice. We must get before the Lord and say, God, in today's world, in today's walk, in today's life, I don't want to live my way, but I want to live your way, Lord. And I'm asking you, God, to please rid me of my flesh, fill me with the spirit and just pray. This is something that I pray literally almost every day. Lord, please help me today to have love, to have joy, to have peace, to have long suffering, to have gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness in my life, because that's how we hear the voice of God. God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through his spirit. How else do we hear it? God speaks to us through his word. God speaks to us as we open this book. The Bible says in 2 Timothy that this book is quick and this book is powerful and it is so much sharper than any two-edged sword and it pierces to the dividing asunder of the sword and spirit of the bones and marrow. It is the truth that we must follow. His word is sure. It's a sure word that will never fail. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. His word is faithful yesterday. It'll be faithful tomorrow and it will be faithful always. So how do we hear the voice of God? We get before him. We present ourselves a living sacrifice. We get in his word and we want to hear from him every single day. If we're going to overcome evil in this world, we will not do it by creating teams and scenarios and perfect situations in our life because that'll never happen. 
The only way we will overcome the evil in this world, the evil in our relationships, is to get before a holy God and realize how terrible we are and how amazing he is. Number two, we see this. Not only must we have a desire to listen to the voice of God, but we must boldly but humbly confront the evil that is closest to us. I've often said this to people as I've helped them. I say this to my sons very often, honestly. Uh, you know, like when the first time your, your kid does something bad, this is for the parents in the room or parents, the grandparents in the room. First time you, your kid does something bad and you're like, what am I going to do? Right? Am I going to deal with this or am I going to let it go? So my son uh, is just turned to Roman and he moved this week from a crib to a toddler bed. Big deal. Really big deal. Um, if you don't remember those days, they're a big deal. And so we talked to him right before he's about to go to his toddler bed. And I sat down with him in his room and I said to him, I said, okay, there's a couple rules. Okay. A couple rules. I said, the first rule is you can't get out of your bed. And I said, repeat that back to me. And he said, bed, just, that's all he said. Right. I said, rule number two, rule number two. I said, you can't throw things from your bed to your brother's bed, Miles, because he does that sometimes, right? And so he looked at me and he said, I said, repeat that back to me. He said, my, my throw, no. And I said, okay, good, good. And so I said a couple more things to him. But then something happened last night. Last night, I was here getting some things ready for church and Elena texted me and she said, hey, Roman's gotten out of his bed several times. And I thought, oh, great, here we go. And I wasn't home. I didn't get home till almost like 9.30 or 10. So he was already asleep. But in my mind, the first thing I thought of is like, okay, how am I going to deal with this problem, right? How am I going to confront this issue, right? He's, he's two. It's not like he has this great understanding. I can talk to him about, you are a depraved human being. And I need to talk to you about all these things. And I can't do that. All I can do is say, you did wrong. I want to help you do right. But I often say this phrase to my boys, especially after discipline. I tell them this. I say, look, I love you way too much to let you stay the way that you are. I love you way too much to let you stay the way that you are. And here's what I believe about David in this story, church. I believe that David truly in his heart had love for Saul. And when you see him come before Saul, what did he do? He bowed himself down to the ground and he looked at the king and he said, King, who's telling you that I have anything wrong with you? Who is telling you that I have an issue with you? And listen, anytime that you confront evil in your life, you've got to confront evil in your life from a place where you say, look, it's not about me. This is not about me. This is about the other person. This is about them. This is about me trying to help them. And I want to very humbly and I want to but very boldly come before them and say, this isn't right. There is a better way. There is a more sure word. And see, if we go to the people around us and we respond with evil to their evil. So if somebody is doing wrong to you and you just look at that person, and you say, you shouldn't be doing that because, and you start to give them this list of things. What are we doing? We're returning evil for anger. Why would we do that? What we must do is we must like follow what the Bible says and not return evil for evil, but return evil for good. So when somebody comes and they lie and they say things about you that aren't true, 
When somebody comes and they start to stir up strife in your life, when somebody comes into the family and they start to mess up the family unit, when your spouse starts to do that thing again that they've done over and over and over and you're like, they're doing it again. How should we respond? With frustration, with anger, with upsetness? No, we should respond humbly, but boldly. And we should come to a place where we say, I love you too much to let you stay the way that you are because evil is never the way, but good is the way. So we must humbly come before them and confront the evil in their life. Number three, look at this. We must recognize the fact that God is in control. God is in control. Look, David did this. And here's where I think some of you might be this morning. David did this in verse number 12. He said, look, Saul, you know what? We've been doing this thing. And at this moment right here, I'm telling you, I've got no problem with you. I'm not going to lay a hand on you. But ultimately, I'm just going to give this over to God. And God can be the judge between me and thee. And let me tell you something in your life this morning, because I know it's true for me in my very short life that I've had to do this many times. In your life this morning, church, there are some things, some people, some relationships that you need to speak this truth into. And that you just need to say, God, look, it's yours. Just release that, give it to God, and let God do what only God can do with it. Release that anger, release that bitterness, release that frustration, release that deep sorrow, release that broken heart, release what they did to you and just say, look, God, I know it is messed up and I know that there's evil, but the good in me through the Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give it to you, Lord, and I'm just going to release it. And I'm not going to worry anymore about getting back at that person, but my goal is just going to get to be to get back to a Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered relationship in every relationship in my life. And I release that, Lord. And David, before the king of Israel, the most powerful man at the time, says, look, you're going to do you, man. I'm going to do me, man. But the ultimate thing is here, I'm just giving this over to God. And I don't know who has hurt you this morning, who's betrayed you this morning, who's done things against you this morning. I don't know who you're trying to win back to yourself this morning. I don't know who you're trying to win to Jesus this morning. But here's what I do know. God's in control. And if you'll give that over to God, guess what? He'll take care of it. He'll work in that. And as you do good to those that do evil to you, Maybe someday, maybe someday, church, you'll see them across the way like David saw Saul with tears in his eyes. And he'll look differently at you. She'll look differently at you. Their heart will change because of the good that you did to them. I can't help but think of the story of David without thinking about our Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter number two, we're going to go there really quickly. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for you. In Philippians chapter number two, the Bible talks about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse number five, he says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue should confess of things in heaven and things in earth, and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the book of John, chapter number one, verse 10, the Bible says this, he was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Think about David quickly. He was a shepherd boy. He was living out on the prairie, taking care of sheep. And one day the prophet Samuel comes and he's like, hey, the next king's somewhere in this home. And all of those guys come before him and he's like, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden he's like, Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he says, I have one more, but he's tending the sheep. He says, go get him. And so he takes the guy who's tending the sheep, brings him before Jesse. And as, as soon as Samuel sees him, he says, this is the guy. This is the king. He never asked for it, never wanted it. He was perfectly fine tending a sheep, but yet God called him. And his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, one day came into this world. Not because he had to, but because like the book of John says in John chapter three, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus came, right? Jesus came and he didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to call his own. And he poured his life into people for three decades. And then at the end of that three decades, those same people that he came to save crucified him on a cross. And they put nails in his hands and they put nails in his feet. And like we're going to think about in just a few weeks on Good Friday, he was crucified. And the most betraying moment in history happened where the Bible says that he took the whole sin of the world and it was placed upon him. And that his father turned his back on him and betrayed him. And he cried out and he said, Father, why are you betraying me? And he looked down upon the people that did that to him. And he did just what David did with Saul. And he said the words that we all know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Bible tells us clearly that if he had wanted to, he could have called 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels and they would have come and taken care of all of it right then. The Bible tells us about the agony of Gethsemane. We saw them talking about it on the video this morning, the agony of Gethsemane where Jesus sat and he said to his God with great depression and great anxiety and great problems of pressure upon him as those great drops of blood came from his face. He said, Lord, if there be any other way, please make it happen. Let this cup pass. But yet Christ said, I'm going to choose the good that I was called here to do. I'm going to choose to love this world that I came to save. Returning good for evil. It's the way of David. It's the way of Jesus. It ought to be the way of every believer in this room today. Can I ask you this morning? When evil is done to you this week, how are you going to respond? Is there a relationship even now that you have thought of during this service that you know you need to get right? 
Is there a problem with sin that you know you need to deal with? Is there a person that you know you need to call? Do you need to stop living with this pressure and this anxiety that everybody's out to get you and just start living in the peace that God can only bring through his spirit? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You just finished listening to a message from the preaching ministry at Monclova Road Baptist Church. If it was a help to you, make sure that you let somebody know about it. If you need help beyond this message, make sure that you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or check out our website, monclovabaptist.org, and we would love to connect with you there and help you with anything that you might need. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on the Monclova Baptist Church Podcast.